There's a unique attraction that hosts thousands of visitors every year in San Jose, California. And it's called the Winchester Mystery House. It's known as the world's most unusual and sprawling mansion. It has 24,000 square feet, 10,000 windows, 2,000 doors, 160 rooms, 53 skylights, 47 stairways and fireplaces, 17 chimneys, 13 bathrooms, and six kitchens. It truly is an architectural and historic landmark. But even more interesting than the building is the story behind it. In the late 1800s, a woman named Sarah Winchester lost her child to a childhood illness. And then, just a few years later, her husband died of tuberculosis. So, seemingly motivated by grief, she left the East Coast in New Haven, Connecticut and traveled across the continent and bought an eight-room uh, eight farmhouse. And then, for the next 38 years, until her death in 1922, she was involved in the world's mass, most involved renovation project. And nobody really knows why she did it. She spent millions of dollars, hired workers to work around the clock. And what remained after she died is a little bit of a mystery. And people tell different kind of stories to explain why. Some say that she was haunted. Others say that she, was believed, that believed, she believed that she was postponing her death by, by continuing this working project. And it's estimated that at the end of her life, she spent 80, over $80 million in today's standard of money uh, in what seems to be a hopeless search for peace. Many of us, uh, most of us, don't have the kind of resources that Sarah did, but her, her story is familiar. People are searching for peace, and many are frustrated in that process. Is peace even possible in today's world? In his book, What Every Person Should Know About War, Chris Hedges records that of the past 3,400 years, humans have been entirely at peace for 268 years. That's only 8% of recorded history. And as we watch the news and we observe what's going on in our world, we seem more polarized and fragmented than ever. People are divided over ideas, values, status, politics, gender, race, ethnicity, and so many more things. So how can we celebrate peace with all of this strife and conflict all around us? If you know Jesus, you know that things are not always as they seem. There's always more than what we see with our eyes or experience physically around us. The Bible tells us there's a spiritual reality that exists that is just as real as what we see and experience physically. And Jesus is the king over all of it, the physical, the spiritual, heaven and earth. So on this second Sunday of Advent, we focus in on peace. Let's take a look at what the Bible says about peace. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is one that you may be familiar with. It's called shalom. Shalom is used 236 times in the Old Testament. 
And it's much broader than our word, what we think of when we think of our word, peace. Shalom is used in greetings and farewells. And, and in that, it has a sense of well-being, personal welfare. welfare. Uh, how is your shalom? Meaning, how is your physical well-being? Your personal welfare. And in addition to uh, individual well-being, it's also the desire, desired state for relationships between people, between families, between communities, and even nations. In English, the word peace is thought of as the absence of war. But, in, but shalom is much more than just the absence of war. It's the presence of connectedness, of completeness, of wholeness. It affects every area of life, relationships, prosperity, health, security. It basically is the opposite of harm, and it's the way things ought to be. We all long for shalom because our lives are complicated, and our world is complicated, and it's broken. We know that the cars we drive are, are complex machines. They, they involve all kinds of parts moving and working together properly. And if one breaks down, it affects the rest. The performance changes. So if your check engine light goes on, you can only go so far before you need to figure it out because even if it's a minor problem, it will start to affect more and more. And the shalom is broken in that vehicle until the problem is fixed and shalom is restored. We experience this when we stub our toe. If we are normally healthy, our shalom is really messed up for those few minutes when we're hopping around on one foot because the little tiny part of our body is really, really hurting. And until that pain goes away, our shalom is broken. And then when it goes away, our shalom is restored. Shalom is wholeness. It's completeness. It's life in proper relationships. And the passage that Faye read for us this morning in Isaiah 9, 2-7, it describes the kind of shalom that the people of Israel longed for, that they hoped for, a time when a warrior's clothing was no longer needed. It would be fuel for the fire, where a light would shine in the darkness, where a king would rule with righteousness and justice for all that's good, and, and that there would be shalom without end. Israel was looking forward to a future king, a human king because he was born as, a, born as a child, but also mighty God. This was no ordinary child, which is why Christmas is such a big deal because on Christmas we celebrate the birth of this child, this human child Jesus who was also God, the king who was both human and God. And he is the Prince of Shalom, which means he's the one that would bring this wholeness, this completeness, this shalom. So on Christmas morning, the angels came to the shepherds and they announced his birth. Listen to Luke 2, 13 to 14. It says, Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The Israelite people had put their hope in this king, this Messiah, this prince of peace, the, the kind of 
hope that we had talked about last week that they, it wasn't just something they wished for, it was something they knew was coming. God would fulfill his purposes and he would bring this king and it was just a matter of waiting. And here it was, this announcement that the king was here on this first Christmas morning. But something must have gone wrong because 2,000 years later, we look around and we see so much brokenness, fragmentation of relationships, polarization between people, division between nations, communities, even families. Isaiah and Luke both talk about Jesus as the Prince of Peace who will bring peace on the earth, yet in the past century we've gone through some of the most terrible wars of history and we still don't see the conflict ending. So what went wrong? Or maybe the better question is, what don't we understand? The Israelite people, they had put their hope in a conquering hero. When the good news of the new king, the promised Messiah that would bring peace was made known, people thought he would fight the Romans. He thought they would, they, he would conquer the people who occupied and controlled their land. They thought Jesus would be the, the king who would make things right by destroying their enemies, the people who got in the way of Israel using their land the way they, they thought they should. And they would be at peace because their enemies would be defeated. But God had a much different plan. He had a bigger vision of peace, of shalom, than anybody had imagined. Isn't that the way with God? The people wanted Jesus to change their circumstances. They wanted him to remove the people who were oppressing them so that they could experience peace by living on the land as they wanted. They wanted political independence and freedom to be able to live without outside restraint. Jesus flipped shalom upside down. He realized that shalom, wholeness, completeness, life and proper relationships would not be fully achieved through defeating human enemies. As humans, we want God to change our circumstances so that we experience peace because it's easy to feel peaceful when there's peace all around. Jesus flips it around. He didn't start from the outside. He didn't start with our circumstances. He started at the very core. He knew that the world is not broken because the wrong people were in power or that our circumstances keep us from shalom. He knew that the world is broken because the first two people he created were given a choice. They could either trust God for what's right and wrong or trust themselves to determine that. And the first two people chose to trust themselves and every person who's existed since then except for Jesus has followed that pattern of choosing our way over his way. We are born into this human condition where we think that we know better than God does what's right for our lives. The Bible calls this the sinful nature or the flesh. Check out how Romans 8, 7 describes this human condition or our sinful nature. It says, for the sinful nature is always, always hostile toward God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. The world is broken 
because every person who is born is born into this sinful nature that's not only in disagreement with God, but hostile toward him. Another word that's used to translate this uh, Greek word is enmity, which can also mean hatred or ill will. The core of our brokenness, the deep-seated reason that the world does not have shalom is because me and you and every other person is hostile toward God as a natural human condition. We are at enmity with God. I don't think any of us, I think most of us would have a hard time saying we hate God. But when life doesn't go the way we want it to, even when we feel like we've done everything right, who do we blame? Whenever we choose to do something against someone else, we're slapping God in the face because God loves that person. He created them and loves them. Whenever we choose to do something opposed to God's way or in a way that is, is opposed to his way, a way that doesn't please him, we're showing our enmity. It may be hard to admit, but if we're honest, it doesn't take much to realize that our natural inclinations are in opposition to God's perfect, loving, holy, and pure ways. We are naturally hostile toward God. So the Prince of Peace came and he did something inconceivable. Everybody thought he would come and conquer, but instead, he came and allowed himself to be beaten. He took the worst that humanity could throw at him. He was put on a bogus trial. He, he absorbed rejection, humiliation, ridicule, lashings, piercings, suffering, and worst of all, separation from God the Father because he took that hostility that we have against God onto himself and he died. And rather than conquering the Romans, the enemies of the Israelites, he was conquered by, or he was put to death by, the Romans and Israelites working together. And we know he didn't stay dead. He wasn't conquered. He was doing something deeper. He wasn't just putting a Band-Aid on our brokenness. He took it to the grave where there is no escape and he left it there. And he did the impossible. He broke the power of death. He rose again. And he showed himself to his disciples. He spent 40 days with them and then he ascended to heaven as king over everything. He truly was the conquering hero. He promised to return and make things right. He promised that the price has been paid for the kind of shalom that we long for and that it will come. And like we said that last week, this is our hope. It's not just wishing for something that we hope will happen or that we'd like to happen. It's hoping that it will. It's waiting for that to happen because God promised it. He will bring shalom, but we have to wait. However, in the meantime, we can still have shalom. Check out Romans 5.1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus rose from the grave, he conquered 
all the sinfulness, our sinful nature and everything, our enmity toward God, he defeated it, he left it in the grave. All we have to do is to admit that we are hostile to God in our natural state, that we are naturally opposed to him, that there's no escape, that we need him, that we need Jesus to rescue us. It's just admitting that we need him and then asking him to forgive us because of what he did for us. Ask him to forgive us and ask him to lead us rather than us lead ourselves. And when we do this, Romans 5.1 says that we're no longer hostile toward God. Our hostility is destroyed and we have peace with God, this shalom, this wholeness, this completeness with God. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to do anything to get it. We don't have to prove it. We have it. We have shalom with God. Jesus gives it to us. Jesus brings this peace, this shalom, not by changing our circumstances, but by changing our heart. He destroys the hostility that is inherent in each one of us so that we can have shalom with God. There's, there's no barrier anymore between us and God. Because when God the Father looks at us, he, he doesn't see the hostility because of what Jesus did with it. Jesus brings shalom to the core of its brokenness. He starts with each individual heart. He makes us right with God. And in being right with God through faith in Jesus, we actually participate in the work of Jesus. And we, we, it, the Bible says that we become in him. We are in Jesus. Which means that when my heart is made whole and your heart is made whole, uh, we have shalom with God and there's no more barrier between us and God or us and each other because we're, we become part of this peace. Listen to Ephesians 2.14. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. This dividing wall, they're talking about this division that there was between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews were in. They were the promised people. The Gentiles weren't and there was this, just this real division between them and, and Jesus broke that barrier down because when you, when you enter his shalom, you're right with God, but then you're, whoever else enters in, you, you, you have to be right with them as well. And so there's no more hostility. So Jesus not only gives us peace with God, he is our peace. We find ourselves in him, in this shalom. And anyone who accepts this gift enters that peace, which means there's no more hostility between anybody that's in that peace, us and God, us and each other. Jesus brings peace into the world in a completely different way than anybody expected. It reminds me of a poem by an unknown author that I may have quoted before, but it goes like this. When I was a young man, I wanted to change the world. I found it difficult to change the world, so I tried to change my nation. When I found I couldn't change the nation, I began to focus on my town. I couldn't change the town, and as an older man, I tried to change my family. Now, as an old man, I realize the only thing I can change is myself, and suddenly I realized that if long ago I had changed myself, I could have made an impact on my family. My family and I could have made an impact on my town. 
Their impact could have changed the nation and I could have indeed changed the world. Jesus is changing the world. But not through conquest, not by force, not in obvious ways, but one person at a time. He restores our relationship with the Creator and He invites us to be people of peace. He entrusts us to participate in the life of Jesus by living out this shalom, by truly believing that we are at peace with God, we become shalom makers. We become part of this shalom and we become an invitation for those around us that have not entered it yet, who are invited. Living out shalom is not easy though. There still is conflict in the world. Jesus will come and make all things right. He will bring shalom throughout all heaven and earth. That's our confident hope. We wait for it. But in the meantime, we are people of peace in a troubled world. And it's difficult. We know we have it, and yet, even though we're made right with God, we still live in a fallen world and we're attracted to doing things our own way. And other people who are in Christ are attracted to doing things their own way. And there becomes conflict even between us who know Jesus. And we are to be shalom makers. We have to work through that conflict. It's difficult. But that's our call. That's who we are. We are shalom. We are in shalom. We have to be shalom makers. We have to work at it. With God's help, keep turning to him. In John 16, 33, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This addresses that tension that we have between the already, the not yet. We will see the shalom over all, universal shalom. But until then, we are people of peace in a troubled world. On Thursday night, our deacons met and I asked them, how do you, how do you come to terms with this tension? What, how do you think about this verse? And some of the responses were quite profound. So I'd like, as you, as you just ponder, what does it mean to live in this tension? Maybe some of these, some of their quotes will help you. Not all of us were there, but, uh, but those that were, I just wanted, I want to read some of their quotes. Mike says, in life you are tested. And God uses those tests as a lesson. God uses our pain to influence our attitudes and our faith and our peace. Colleen says, you can have the trouble all around you, but you don't become part of it. Richard says, the, the amount of peace I have is directly correlated to my appreciation of God's sovereignty. And Ron says, the peace I experience is the ever-present understanding of what lies ahead. Jesus will bring global, universal, complete shalom over all creation. This is a sure hope that we wait for. But we don't have to wait to enter that peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who invites us into his peace right now. If you haven't accepted this gift, if you're not part of that shalom that he invites us into, you can ask him to forgive you and turn your life to him right now. 
if you have, if you are part of Christ's body, if you are in that shalom, ponder what the magnitude of it. You are at peace with God. There's no enmity, no hostility between you and God anymore. Ponder that. Thank him for it. Rest in it. And live out of this peace and be peacemakers in a fallen world. Today is the second Sunday of Advent and we celebrate peace because in celebrating peace, we celebrate Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are so unaware of, of the magnitude of the gift you've given us. We can ponder this for eternity and still not grasp it. The angels long to look into these things. God, help us to expand our, please expand our understanding of what it means to be people who are made right with you, who are at peace with you, who are in shalom with you. We are in complete and whole relationship with you not by anything we have done, but because of the work of Jesus. God, you are amazing. And that's why we lift our voices to praise you. That's why we come together. That's why we, that's why we live. It's because of you. Help us to understand that more. Invite us deeper and deeper into that. And thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.